You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm one of your hosts. I am not joined today by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler, who couldn't be with us for this recording, but I am so excited to be joined today by Reverend Dr. Sarah Travis. She has been teaching courses at Knox College since 2012 and joined the faculty in 2022. Sarah is an ordained minister of the Presbyterian Church in Canada and currently serves as part-time minister at Norville Presbyterian Church. Her primary areas of research and teaching are preaching, worship, and the practice of ministry. From decolonizing worship practices to trauma-informed preaching, spoiler, that's where we're headed, Sarah has published several books aimed at facilitating a conversation among Christians about topics that matter for the church today. She's the author of kind of what I just mentioned there, uh, a book, Decolonizing Preaching, The Pulpit as Postcolonial Space, a book, Metamorphosis, Preaching After Christendom, and the book that we're primarily going to pull from today, Unspeakable, Preaching in Trauma-Informed Theology. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I'm so excited to be with you to talk about this book and preaching and, and the ways that trauma impacts our lives. So thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Well, to start with, right, I mean, obviously you teach about preaching and worship and all of that. Why write this book, write a book about preaching and trauma-informed theology? I mean, that that's something that maybe we don't think about the overlap of a lot, right? That's I, When I found it, I was really excited because I thought, oh, I've never heard of maybe this overlap being specifically written about. So can you tell us some of the backstory behind you deciding like, yes, I, I need to write about this? Sure. There, there's a short story and a long story. The, the short story <laughs> is that um, I got stuck. I was trying to write a sermon, and I, I came across a scripture from Isaiah that talked about restoration and how these devastated cities were going to be restored. And I started thinking about the cities in our world that are unlikely to ever be restored. Um, places where there is war and violence and where there have been natural disasters. And I started to wonder, what is the message of this text today for a world that is so traumatized? And and I found myself silent. I I could not find words um, to put hope into practice. I couldn't find a way to go from the trauma of the real world to the hope that was in the text. And so that was sort of the moment when I realized, I bet I'm not the only one who's struggling with this, and and decided that it was important to explore this topic more fully. The longer yeah. story yeah. Um, is that I myself had experienced a, a terribly traumatic event around the illness and death of my young son about 15 years ago. And um, obviously, um, there was there was trauma on multiple levels because of his illness, and um, and and it was it was a terrible time, and I found myself as a preacher in an uncomfortable space where I was called to continue to preach good news when I was devastated. 
And mm, so yeah. there arose this this challenge of how do we stand in the pulpit when we are traumatized and find something hopeful to say? Yeah. Gosh. Thank you for for sharing all of that and and that's such a a I think both of those stories are so helpful in in setting up right this this tension of not not approaching you know oh how do we wrestle with trauma and how do we do that in in preaching as like this purely academic thing but from a place of like no people that I care for people in this community myself are are wrestling with this and so we have to make sense of of how to do any of this um which yes. you know I think is helpful context there so before we get into some of the, the the applications for preaching specifically, right? I'm curious because I, my assumption is lots of people are going to be listening and go trauma informed theology. What does that mean, right? Like, don't we just approach theology from what we know about God, or you know? So, um, can you tell us maybe what does trauma informed theology mean as a baseline so that we know kind of what we're wading into? Sure. So, trauma informed theology is going to ask the same questions that we always ask in theology who is god um, and how is god sort of manifest in the world but it's going to also acknowledge that the world that god is manifesting in is a traumatized world and that the entire history of the church including the way scripture was put together, the way we have interpreted scripture, the way we have developed our theologies, um, all of those developments have taken place in the context of trauma. And so it's really difficult to look at Christian theology without also looking at trauma. And, and sadly, one of the realities is that Christian theology has often caused trauma. Um, you know, we can think of the various ways that the church has been involved in um, in systematic injustice, like colonialism, and um, the so the ways that the church has been a perpetrator of trauma. Um, yeah. The way that Christians throughout history and in certain parts of the world today not in North America, I would argue, but other places in the world are persecuted for their faith. Um, so that's that's part of understanding the theological context. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you said, you know, it's we kind of can't, or it's not easy to look at theology without considering trauma. And my instinct there was maybe a little bit snarky to go, well, okay, but but lots of people seem to do that. So maybe it is easy, right? But I, I think I understand your larger point, which is like, we sh we shouldn't maybe, right? Like to, to make sure that we're not getting into kind of spiritual bypassing and, and stuff like that, right? So so if somebody says, okay, uh, sure, that makes sense. We want to make sure that our theology also like grapples with the stuff of life, right? So how could somebody maybe examine their theology to make sure that it incorporates the realities of, of trauma, right? Like if somebody said, hey, I've never heard of this. I'm coming to you where do I even start? Like what, what parts do I kind of poke and prod to see, you know, to make sure? Sure. Um, I think a really good place to start is with our understanding of who God is. Um, because we often make assumptions about the God that's revealed in scripture that is particularly in the Old Testament. I think we find images of God that are violent and God actually behaves as a perpetrator of trauma. Mm. 
and, and certain atonement theologies, so the ways that we understand how we are saved, certain atonement theologies that um, actually sort of push this idea of God as as the one who harms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we really need to, to wrestle with that. Um, in my understanding of God, God is not the one who harms. Rather, people of faith have tried to interpret what's happening in the world. And in the absence of any other explanation, they've blamed God for that trauma. Yeah. Um, whereas that trauma arises most often at the hands of other people, but also in terms of just the way nature works and the way our bodies function in the world. So illness and natural disaster, those things happen. Mm, yeah. Um, so I, I think we need to begin with that relationship with God and who God is. Um, do we understand God to be someone who is with us and supports us through trauma, or do we understand God to be someone who actually causes trauma? Yeah. And some of our interpretations of our of scriptural texts, and scriptural interpretation is so important for preaching, some of those those interpretations tend to imagine a God who is more distant and possibly even a God who causes harm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, a great place to start, obviously, because that's like, I don't know, I don't have a, a formal theology background, but I would imagine that, you know, who is God? Where Like that that's kind of a foundational question yes. maybe to wrestle with. And then how do we relate, you know, to God and all of that, right? Like how does, how does the world function in light of that? Okay, so so then, I mean, can you give us some examples, maybe of of common theological understandings? You you did one right there, right? But yeah. that that some common understandings that maybe you might lovingly kind of push back against and say need some reexamination in light of a more trauma informed perspective. Sure, I mean, let's think about the concepts of forgiveness and reconciliation. Hmm. There's a Christian push to forgive. And reconcile. Yeah. Um, sometimes, regardless of what's actually happened um, in that situation, uh, whatever the conflict was, or what whatever has caused two people or two groups or a number of groups to be separated and in conflict with one another. So, I think theologies that push too hard for those things without recognizing the realities of trauma. Um, are problematic. Oh. Um, I'll give you an example from my church context, um, my my presbytery or my adjudicatory. Yeah. Um, in the case of a conflict between two people, begins what they call a Matthew process. So this is based on the scripture where if you have a problem with someone, you go to them with a support person right. and actually have a conversation about what's happened. Well, that is a fine gospel process, but it doesn't take into account what we do when there is trauma or, say, abuse well, or right. or other harm has been done that putting those people in the same room may not actually be the most kind, faithful thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, another example I would draw, in, and, and this one 
this one is really relevant for preaching and it is the tendency to blame the victim. And what I mean by that is a tendency to assume that someone should be able to heal themselves by praying. Mm, yeah. Um, so there's we we preach scriptures about healing and make an assumption based sometimes on what the text actually says that that person has healed themselves or failed to heal themselves because of their faith or lack of it. Um, and I, I think we really need to be careful with that because, yeah, yeah. I mean, people people don't always have the power within themselves to heal. And that's part of the message we're offering here is that we need God in order to heal, but the healing doesn't come from within ourselves. Yeah, uh, you in the in the book, right? You reference a couple hallmarks of of trauma informed theology, and and one of them, right, is priority of the bodily experience. And I'm just thinking about that as you're talking about the idea of somebody, quote unquote, should be able to, or maybe there are theologies that posit, right, that that you should be able to heal from something traumatic purely on a spiritual level, right, just by praying and just by you know all of it, the, all that type of stuff. When in reality, we know that that trauma shapes our our brain and our nervous system and all that and so like yeah. no there's lots of other aspects that have to be done here and that's with that we have to factor that in otherwise we get into this weird place of well if you haven't either explicitly or implicitly right well if you haven't yeah. moved on right and i'm doing air quotes that yes. means that you know faith-wise there's something you're not doing or something along those lines right that's right that's right whereas we know that trauma interrupts people's imaginations and it interrupts their ability to use language. And so the very capacities that help us to heal can be incapacitated by trauma. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that, that's helpful to take that obviously a step further than, right? I mean, you, because our, our theology is shaping our preaching for those who preach, obviously. <laughs> and early on in the book, you pose the question, right? Does preaching have a role to play in the manner in which communities respond to and heal from traumatic events? The spoiler would be that if you landed on no, it would have been a much shorter book probably, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but so, so can you tell us like, what is the role that preaching can play in that in that healing process for, for individuals and for communities? Sure. I, I think that one of the, the first things that we can do in preaching is name trauma. So we can actually say this is what's going on for individuals or for the community. You know, I, I think I, I wrote this book before COVID <laughs> and uh, it was edited just as COVID was, was underway. So it does have some yeah. reference to COVID, but it might have been a very different book if it had been written a little bit later. Yeah. But, yeah. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the problems that we've had in this pandemic is that it's been difficult for us to name the trauma that we're experiencing. And I heard about one church yeah. where the, the congregation or the, the leadership told the preacher that they did not want to hear about the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I thought, 
Oh, that's that's hard because you're failing to name something that is the shared experience of the congregation. Yeah. So that that naming is so important. That making space um, for trauma narratives. That believing the stories. So believing when you read in scripture that someone is traumatized, we need to believe that person and understand that their experience is is shaped by trauma. Yeah. Um, but that that public naming is so important. And and my students really struggle um, with two different concepts. One is a sermon that's about trauma. So this is a sermon that looks at a traumatic yep. text or a traumatic experience. Um, the sure. other kind of sermon is a trauma-informed sermon. Um, and a trauma-informed sermon is is one that takes extra care not to re-traumatize listeners. So it's gentler in its language. It It names trauma, but in such a way that you provide some space or some resources for healing. Yeah. That's, in, I mean, that, that distinction I think is helpful, right? Because there obviously are lots of, of texts maybe that we would preach on that are traumatic. I mean, I don't, that's just the reality of, of what, what that, what that has, right? But the, the idea of like, no, I'm not necessarily only speaking about those. I'm saying in general, here's how we approach the act of preaching, our our sermon prep time, or like the way we're communicating, keeping you know, kind of a, a trauma informed lens attached, regardless of of what the topic is, right? Right, right. Yes. Yeah. So, how do you? What are the what are the hallmarks of that? Right. So, I guess this is probably where your students come in. But if if someone's listening, they say, okay, I'm gonna go after I finish this listening. I'm gonna go write my sermons. I'll write it like I normally do. And then what do I need to look at? Or like, do I need to filter some things through? Uh, do like, I mean, what are the kind of the core components there of how we shift from a, maybe how people would standardly write a sermon, which I don't know all the details of because I don't, I don't preach, but then how do we shift it into like a, a trauma informed way of doing that? Right. With any preaching, with any sermon, I think we want to start with the context. So we oh. want to look at the people to whom we are preaching and ask, what is the trouble that they're facing? You know, what what are the traumas that are shaping their experience right now? And And I mean, these traumas, some of them are very obvious. I mean, there's community trauma that is shared. Sometimes it goes on for generations. Um, I mean, in Canada, the residential school situation and, and our relationship with Indigenous peoples is, yeah. is one of those areas, for example, that impacts our lives together. There's other trauma that's going to be hidden, and we're not going to know about it, but we can assume it's there. So there is domestic violence. There is sexual abuse. Oh. Uh, there is illness, there is family conflict. So all of those things are there. And and the most important thing we can do as we come to write a sermon is recognize that those things are there um, yeah. and, and keep them forefront in our minds as we approach the sermon. Mm. 
for me, the other side of the coin is the scripture piece. So for my kind of preaching, I would always begin with the context and the scripture. And so the question is always, what does this scripture say to these people in this place at this time? Uh Or in other words, and I've started thinking about it this way, what is the invitation of this text? And when we come to the text, there's a number of questions that we need to ask. Um, One of them is, is there trauma in this text? The answer is not always going to be yes. Sometimes there's no obvious trauma in the text. Sometimes you have to look at the trauma in the context of the authors and the audience of the text. So you start to realize that, oh, this was written and interpreted in in a traumatic context. And then you start to have to ask, is there any hope for healing in this text? Um, is there good news here? And what what is the good news? And if there isn't good news in that text, where do we find resources in the whole of Scripture that help to ground us in this world yeah. of trauma? Yeah, that's interesting, I think, and not to... Uh, not to jump in there but i think i can imagine somebody maybe saying well sh- there's always hope in a text right like there's always a, a a redemption moment or something right just in the way that we tend to think of preaching or sermons or storybook bibles or even worship songs there, there does always and i know in the book you write about there's a, a a part of a chapter that it was probably my favorite phrase you wrote getting to the gospel too soon right the idea that like yes we we always seem to end with redemption and not that that's a bad uh, there's a tension there right of saying like, like yeah it's not a bad thing we do want to offer people hope but the idea that there could be a text that that you know here's a whole chunk of scripture that i'm preaching on and there's not really any hope within that i can imagine making some people uncomfortable with with that general kind of idea you know what i mean Yes. Yes. Um, because, I mean, you know, if I have to define preaching, I'm going to tell you that it's about preaching the good news. It's about proclaiming right. the gospel. Um, but one of the things I talk about in the book is the complexity of gospel. What's good news for me might not be good news for you. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, what's good news for the poor might sound like really bad news for the rich because it's going to require <laughs> the rich to do something different. Right. Man, I wish I had more preaching knowledge to to help inform my side of the conversation, but I'm, I'm imagining trying to write something, right? And I go, okay, if I look at a text and I go, well, okay, how do I make sure that I'm not jumping straight to redemption while still offering, you know, not just going, well, this one's pretty bleak. Have a great week. You know, like... How, I don't yes. know that tension there. Like, how do you, I don't know about thread that needle, but how do you balance those two maybe? Yeah, because we're, we're always trying to find the sweet spot, the space between grief and trauma and hope. Um, one of the ways that that's been articulated is in relation to the death and resurrection of Jesus and the idea of Holy Saturday. So the idea that in between Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, there is a day where 
nothing good happens. It's a day of, of mourning and sadness, but it's also a day of waiting, especially for us that know the end of the story. So we, we always have this resurrection power in the back of our minds. It's always there. That reality is always there. Um, but the truth is that even when Jesus is resurrected, he has wounds. The wounds oh. are still there. And so there's two things. We create a space um, between death and resurrection. And we honor the fact that resurrection does not negate trauma. That uh-huh. even after the resurrection, the disciples were traumatized. They were traumatized by finding life where they did not expect to find life. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, if you look at, okay, they went and hid themselves in a room and all, right? Like there, there is, you know, they were yeah. scared. There was like the scary stuff happening, right? And I don't know, as you're, as you're, as you were just talking, I was thinking about one of my favorite moments, right? When uh, Jesus comes back and he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? And yes. so he probably knows, okay, here's what's coming next, right? But he shows up and, and people are upset and he stops and cries, right? Like he, he witnesses to that pain, like he pauses right there and he says, yeah. I'm not going to, you know, what's coming next doesn't mean that this this moment right here doesn't matter and doesn't hurt and isn't worth sitting in, you know? Right. And And it's that kind of tension there of like having the space for the suffering and the pain and the reality and pointing forwards. And then again, as you're saying, knowing that that doesn't mean that this didn't happen, right? Like, it, you know what I mean? That's right. That's right. Yeah. The resurrection does not erase the cross. So as we're talking, so I, I was mentioning, I was talking with a, a friend of mine about having you on the show and trying to explain to him the book, right? And he was asking, he is somebody who preaches often. And he said, uh, uh, that sounds really interesting. You know, let me borrow the book after you interview her. Uh, and he said, I would be curious because so much of preaching is about compacting things, right? Like you have a certain amount of time. And so you're trying to condense a little bit, like whatever it is you're trying to say. But yes. trauma seems like an area where you would want as much nuance as possible, like nuance and clarifications and, you know, and, and all of that. How... I don't know how how is that possible? Like, how do you coach your students through that in terms of, yeah, you can't, you know, you can't say here's a sentence, and I don't mean necessarily this, and I know there are people that do that, right? Like, you don't want to offer caveats to everything possible. How do you right. how do you balance, you know, the the condensing a little bit with leaving space and and not making like generalized statements that might be harmful? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, and it it's a hard one. I mean, I I think. One of the most significant things about preaching that we don't talk about enough is that the fact the preaching happens as one aspect of the conversations that are happening in a congregation. So Hmm. preaching is only one piece of how we address this trauma thing. So we have to we have to be engaged with our people and and then thus we go into the preaching experience with a deeper knowledge of who they are which makes it a lot easier to make statements and to communicate with them um my students <laughs> because is because it's a course and because we have 
a number of students and not enough time, they preach (laughs) 10-minute sermons. Hmm. And what I tell them is that you need to say one thing and you need to say it well. Wow. So I think trauma sermons, yes, they need to have nuance, but they also need to be simple because we're also recognizing that people who are traumatized, which is the case for many in our congregation, their ears are not primed for listening. It's hard to sit through a sermon when you're traumatized. And so I think those are sort of practical points, but I, I think short, clear sermons are the best way to to address trauma. Clear language, um, clear and simple language. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think so. I mean, at least for for me, I'll see if he likes it. But uh, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> one thing that I did want to ask about that you uh, you mentioned. In the in the book is is the the idea of uh, I think you call it midwifing the imagination right the idea of not yes. always having a, a really concrete ending or steps or I'm thinking of you know a couple well known pastors I know where it's like here's your three steps and there's always like a here's exactly the next thing right like so can you speak yes. to maybe the the power of imagination and and why that matters in in the context that we're talking about in, in relation to to being trauma informed. Sure. Um, the first thing I think of is leaving some room for, for ambiguity. <laughs> yeah. That we, we sometimes assume that texts mean one thing um, and that there is one message that can be given. And that's just not true. Um, mm. Texts mean a lot of different things. And um, Part of nurturing that imagination is is allowing people space within scripture to find what's meaningful for them. So as preachers, we're we're opening up the conversation rather than shutting it down. Sometimes that means that we're going to preach sermons that don't tie up with a neat little bow. Yeah. You know, it might not be everything's fine, and that's the good news. It might be, you're going to be okay, but this is hard. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love the I love that image of midwife. I, I think that um, one of my favorite reasons for that image is that the midwife doesn't actually produce the fruit of the labor. Yeah, midwife is there. Um, the midwife is helping. The midwife is supporting and resourcing. Um, but it's it's the people, it's the the laboring person that needs to do the work. Uh, and and I think yeah. that's true. Um, that that preachers offer support and resources from scripture and theology, and they offer this word of encouragement. Um, and a word of affirmation that says, yes, you are traumatized. And in God's world, there's room for that. It doesn't make you uh-huh. um, a, a sort of freak of nature. Um, I think sometimes Christians think we're not allowed to be traumatized because we're supposed to be so 
swept up in the good news that there's no room for trauma. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm saying, well, the good news incorporates trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. At just the that sentence, I was just thinking about. Um, okay. Well, I think you know one thing since you uh, since you teach this, right? I feel maybe a little more comfortable asking about uh, some specific things, right? As opposed to like, who do you know that stinks at this, right? Uh, which isn't what I'm saying at all. But I'm, I'm curious if there are things that your students kind of routinely uh, struggle with, or you you notice kind of happening again and again that you go, here's some things that I really would highlight or look out for, or some common kind of, mm, maybe let's rethink this, you know, in, in maybe their 10 minute sermons there, or, you know, I don't know if they have a final where it's longer than that, but are there things that you would say, hey, above all, maybe these three or whatever number, right? But are there, you know what I mean? Sorry, that was a, a rambly yeah. question, but yeah. No, it's fine. Um, and and it's great because I've been listening to student sermons recently. Um, one of the mistakes that they make in in trying to preach traumatic texts is that they go too far in naming the trauma. So the mm -hmm. sermon actually becomes traumatic because, because yeah. they are they're trying so hard to name the trauma accurately that it actually causes harm in the listener. I mean, there was one sermon I heard recently where I felt like I was being hit over the head repeatedly oh. um, because the preacher kept going back for more and, and made it so vivid that I was actually traumatized by listening mm. yeah. um, because it was so well described, which was great, but I think um, it's just too painful. So so don't overdo the trauma. I mean, it's it's fine to want to name this stuff, but but don't go too far. Yeah. Um, let me think what else they do. It can be very difficult to find that sweet spot between hope and trauma. I, in fact, I think that's the hardest aspect of this kind of preaching. Um, yeah. Is is you want to balance them, but it's not quite balanced because they're all of it is situated within the good news. So even the trauma we experience, we experience while we are embraced by God. Mm. So always naming the presence of God clearly, um, even when God is not doing anything that resembles healing in the text, we again have to go to the resources of our larger faith and look for the hope that is in us. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I was just thinking about the story of Job, which is always one of my favorites. And maybe that's just the, the therapist in me, right? But the, <laughs> I always think about Job's friends who uh, start off really strong right they they don't say anything they're just kind of sitting with him and then they start trying to explain it right like attributing well it it must be because of this it must be because of this right and yes. and job start then spends the whole time arguing with them right and at the end of the story god provides basically no answers right uh, but says that the friends kind of did it wrong and this is obviously broad brush right like friends you kind of missed it job what the stuff you said about me not entirely accurate but i did like that you came to me with it right and right. i'm here and like close curtains 
right? Like there's no answers. There's yeah. no, you know, and so uh, I think, you know, not, I don't know, maybe not when we say, or when you say like it, it has to be situated in the context of, of good news, I don't think that means like there has to be exact answers or like, yes, well, here's why, here's the exact understanding or like in the story, God did this on purpose to do this, right? I know sometimes we get into God causing things to bring about good or, you know, like weird spots. Yes. And, and so I think, I don't know, I can imagine for folks, and I think this happens to a lot of us, right? The idea of, well, I don't know, but I know that God is here and has always been there. And I know that, that doesn't make this stuff not have happened, but I don't know, you know, like yeah. that just, I can, I can assume maybe for, for, for preachers or, you know, anybody that says, okay, I'm wrestling with faith things for a living to kind of go, I, I don't know, is, uh, unsatisfying or like feels, I don't know, like you're not doing the role, but, but it is the role, you know? It's Right. And uh, preachers hate that they don't have the answers. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think we need to not push too hard for the answers because sometimes the answers we come up with um, are very harmful. Like this is when we it, when we start asking why these things are happening, then we come up with answers like, well, it's happening because your faith isn't strong enough. Mm -hmm. Or it's happening because you've made mistakes. Or it's happening because the world is evil and other people are evil. Um, yeah. I mean, those, there may be aspects of truth to all those things, but, but I don't think those are the answers that we want to give. I think I'd rather leave it ambiguous and, and acknowledge that part of the mystery of life is that we just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, for the record, I think there's lots of, you know, therapists that uh, would like to have all the answers as well. So that's certainly yes. not, you know, only a, a preacher thing. But um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I mean, all of that, I think, is really helpful. If I ever take up preaching, I will revisit all of this. Um, but hopefully that's helpful for our listeners. And I think even I was joking there, but not not being somebody who preaches for a living. I mean, I still think all of that was was really helpful and and very glad to have to have had the conversation with you and gotten to to be here um listener if you want you can connect with sarah at sarahtravis.ca on twitter at rev sarah travis uh or i'll link to her faculty page uh for the university of toronto you can buy this book unspeakable preaching and trauma-informed theology wherever you get your books and i'll link to that and all of all of your other books you can connect with Holly at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robertvore. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today and, and for the, the conversation. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Um, just just my blessing and my best wishes. This, um, this is a, a tough season to think about trauma as we come up to Easter because we're we're awaiting resurrection and um, the truth is that resurrection can be painful for people who are traumatized because it's like the sun being too bright to look at wow. um, so may we find grace and good news even in the midst of of death and 
I, I hope that um, new life is, is found for, for all those who are preaching in this season. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com. 